Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, a deep dive into Biden's Build Back Better plan and what could make it a happy new year if it passes. And someone's got the memo as we are seeing more black Santas. What do you make of it? Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. As we near the end of 2021, a deal to seal President Biden's Build Back Better plan is closing in. Today, we're taking a deep dive into a few key areas of the social policy and climate change bill. And I'd like to welcome Senator Natalie Murdoch of Durham, Dr. Mark Little, an economist and executive director of CREATE at the UNC Keenan School of Private Enterprise, and political analyst Steve Rao. But first, when Congresswoman Alma Adams addressed the House on this piece of legislation back in November, here's what she shared about some of the direct impacts for North Carolina. It extends the child care credit for a year, cutting child poverty in half, in North Carolina, uh, that's a lifeline for hundreds of thousands of children who go to bed hungry every night. It puts $150 billion towards affordable housing, which has been described as the single largest and most comprehensive investment in affordable housing in history. In Charlotte, uh, so many other and so many other communities across the country, that's real progress on our affordable housing crisis and real relief for over a half a million Americans who don't have a roof over their heads. Let me open up with you, Senator Murdoch. How indeed can this possibly cut child poverty in half, as uh, Representative Adams said? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Deborah. And I also would be remiss if I didn't um, just thank Congresswoman Adams for her leadership on, on this topic. It will, in fact, um, some studies show it has already um, the, the current child tax credit that was already extended has already reduced child poverty um, upwards of 40 percent. Um, but since I also did work with the Congresswoman on um, black maternal health legislation here in North Carolina, I um, also have to add it will provide robust um, once in a lifetime funding for black maternal health issues, but um, child poverty is, is something that um, we don't talk enough about, and that is one of the many um, huge, huge benefits of Build Back Better, which is why we're all, um, you know, anxiously awaiting for the Senate to move forward with this legislation. Um, we've all seen gas prices going up, inflation, the cost of everything is going up, so I can't think of a better time for us to provide um, parents with um, three to $3,600, depending on the age of their child, uh, with that, with that tax credit um, and also um, additional assistance with, with health care um, will also reduce overall cost um, to these households, which will really help to um, reduce childhood poverty and pull entire households out of poverty for the long term. And once again, taking a look at some of the key provisions of this $1.75 trillion social infrastructure bill, if passed, it would mean $555 billion for climate change, $400 billion for universal pre-K, $200 billion 
for child tax credits. As Senator Murdoch was talking about, $200 billion for four weeks of paid leave, $165 billion for health care spending, and $150 billion to expand affordable home care, and $150 billion for affordable housing. Now, uh, let me pull you in, Dr. Little, taking a look at some of the key priorities of the $1.75 trillion social infrastructure bill. If passed, it would mean... Um, all of these things that we just talked about, but, you know, how is this going to really impact black and Latino and um, vulnerable communities here in North Carolina? What are some of the specifics? Yeah, so I think, if I could, I'll focus on the pre-K a little bit. I, the thing that's really interesting about this is I think it has opportunity to do two things. One, along the lines of what the senator was saying, people who don't have enough income and wealth in their homes, that they're having to make these decisions, do they pay for childcare or not? they now will have that wealth freed up. The other thing though is the people who are working in the pre-K sector are overwhelmingly black and brown people as compared to K through 12 education. And so by bringing that spectrum of work connected with the federal government, there's an opportunity to increase those wages and also an opportunity to create more job opportunities for those folks. And the way that it's structured there's an opportunity to create more wealth because many of those businesses are actually owned by black and brown people. And so federal dollars coming to families that have young kids who need childcare, funneling them into this new framework that's coming is gonna have, I think, a disproportionately positive impact on those families that need it the most, and those are black and brown families. Mm -hmm. It's so helpful to understand exactly how this uh, spending would actually work and be in effect. Steve, let me get you in on here. Um, is this an area of partisan contention? Is this something that's being debated? Or are people, um, are legislators pretty much on board and together on this aspect of of the bill? Well, I think the, the biggest Republican contention, uh, you know, in, across the country is just the, the, the amount of money that this bill would put in and would it, you know, contribute to continued rising, price, rising prices, inflation. Uh, I think in the most part, uh, it, people are, you know, getting to the point where they see the benefits of getting this bill passed, just as they did the infrastructure bill. But, you know, my comeback to the Republicans who are continuing to resist this legislation through partisanship is that I agree with President Biden that there's no greater economic engine than the ingenuity and hard work of the American people. And we have to grow the middle class. And, you know, in India, in China, the middle class is growing. But the middle class and the opportunities for our middle class are shrinking in the United States. Uh, and it's I, been a long time. It's been a long, long time since this investment and attention on the middle class has happened. So when, when there's neglect or, you know, for a long time, it's no wonder it's going to take a significant infusion and investment of dollars to help Build Back Better. Senator Murdoch, mm -hmm. you know, another critical component is Build Back mm -hmm. Better has some other provisions. Does it fill the gap? And, and if so, how? It very much so does. And honestly, I applaud the Biden-Harris administration for making this a signature piece of the Build Back Better Act. And um, to be clear, our own congressional members here in North Carolina went directly um, to leadership to say, you know, North Carolina is one, I believe, of 11 states that has failed to expand Medicaid. And so um, with Build Back Better, we will close that coverage gap. There are over 200,000 some odd North Carolinians that fall in that gap. And earlier we were talking a lot about, um, you know, middle class, but also 
also those who earn even lower wages find themselves in that gap because when you combine um, the income of themselves and their spouse, they may not be eligible currently, um, but they're still struggling to make ends meet. A lot of us are one medical emergency away um, from being evicted from our from our homes. Um, it, it very much can be the most expensive um, part of your budget. Um, so those over 200,000 of Carolinians um, will have the opportunity to be included um, in the ACA exchange. A lot of their pre premiums will um, completely be covered and um, enough is enough. As you know, we've reached a budget impasse. We do finally have a budget this year, but we even enter budget negotiations this year, hopeful um, that in exchange for other things, we could finally expand Medicaid. Um, but I do believe the federal government is very serious about this. And in the event that North Carolina cannot chart a path to Medicaid expansion, they will do it for us. Um, that is why you did see language around a Medicaid study group um, included in our budget. I do believe that we will come back in short session um, and return to the table with very serious discussions about Medicaid expansion, knowing that um, some form, I'm confident that some form of Build Back Better will pass, and that is a key component in that specific provision um, is for states like North Carolina that have failed to act so far. Dr. Little, what are your thoughts about these provisions and how they compare, say, to, to Medicaid expansion? Sounds like it's a really positive move forward and a, and a good compromise. Yes, I think given the reluctance, unwillingness of a number of states, I think it's 11 or 12 states, including North Carolina, to expand the benefits, this really is the only option that's there. And as the senator said, it seems to cover almost everything. For example, some of the Medicare-like benefits around transportation uh, that aren't typically on the, the uh, healthcare marketplace, those kinds of coverage, that will be included for people that will now be uh, covered um, by this. Uh, the only real concern that I have is just around getting people to sign up and just another, it's just another thing that people have to think about, you know, am I covered by this? Am I covered by that? My employer, mm -hmm. all these, just gets very, very complicated. So there'll be some but bureaucracy aside, I mean, involved with this. There'll be some bureaucracy and you've got to fill this out and go through this application. Mm -hmm. and, and learn about it. So the bill has a significant number of dollars in there to tell people about this new benefit, but it's going to vary by state. Um, and there's also some parts that overlap a little bit, so people are going to have to decide, do they get off of one insurance to get, you know, it's, it just makes it more complicated. But given, the again, the unwillingness of certain states to expand uh, benefits that are there for them, uh, this really is, I think, the best that we could hope for it. It's, move, it's a move forward, as, as I see it. And, you know, uh, for a long time, there's been debated this question. I'm going to um, direct it to all three of you, starting you with, with you, Steve. Is health care a right, a privilege, or a responsibility? Mm. What are your thoughts on that, Steve? Well, you know, I think uh, you know, health care is a right. Uh, I, I think if you look at the United Nations uh, Human Rights um, Declaration, uh, you know, they, it was mentioned as a right there. And, you know, our Constitution says that every American citizen is guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I think it's, it's absolutely important and fundamental that we have health care so that we can be free, we can live our lives, we can enjoy our times as Americans. So it is a right. And I think there's also, it's also a responsibility, a responsibility for us to be accountable for our own health care, but also, you know, in terms of just staying healthy, uh, keeping our immune system strong, healthy diets. But governments also have an obligation uh, or a responsibility to provide those healthy choices for the American people to make sure that we are healthy and we can reduce our health care costs. So the answer to your question is yes. Health care mm. is a right in, you know, in Canada and other nations like England. Uh, they're providing it. It would require trade-offs, but I believe 
uh, this should drive our policy decisions. And I'm glad I have people like we have people like Senator Murdoch uh, in our state Senate that are pushing to make sure that this right is there uh, for every North Carolinian. Senator Murdoch, it may have already been stated for you, but yes. Yes, um, absolutely. And um, this is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. My mom is a public health nurse, so um, I was able to see every day um, the impact of um, health care and, and just how it really impacts your everyday life. Um, a small business owner launched my own company in 2017, um, so I know what it feels like to have to pay for those costs on your own. At one time, I was paying $500 a month um, for my health care coverage, have a um, specific stomach condition where I need a certain level of medication, so I had to get the type of um, healthcare coverage that would cover um, medicine that if I were to pay out of pocket would have been $1,200 um, for a three-month supply and can't tell you how many seniors I talked to that struggle um, paying for the, the, med the medical uh, prescription coverage that also has some benefits and build back better. So it is a basic human right. Um, and as uh, Steve mentioned earlier, um, so many other countries are getting this right. Um, we'll, you know, in a little bit later in the segment, talk about um, the climate change part of the policy. But when I I recently went to Scotland for COP, COP26 and um, talked to, you know, a young man in, in London who was in his 30s, unfortunately was diagnosed with brain cancer and had all of that covered. It, it, it was it was covered. He it's didn't amazing. have to stop his life and have the inability to afford his lifestyle um, because he was diagnosed with brain cancer. So we've, we've got to figure this out. Very freeing. Very freeing. Dr. Little, your thoughts on it. Uh, privilege, right, responsibility. So I, I think it's actually all of those. And maybe the thing that I want to add here that may be a little different is the healthcare that we do have. And uh, it's really heavy on machines and, and drugs that can be expensive and really light on prevention, nutrition, and behavioral mm -hmm. interventions. Mm -hmm. And so the healthcare that we have access to needs to change. Um, and this is beyond this infrastructure bill, but we really need to focus on how do we end disparities in the system itself, and then really focus how do we keep people healthy from birth through the, the course of their life. And as you may know, life expectancies in the United States have been flat for the past 20 years, mm -hmm. um, before COVID, right? Um, and so we really need to think about what are those things, whether it's opioids, obesity, diabetes, these things that are preventable that really are impacting people and think about that broader picture. Mm -hmm. And the predeterminants of health. Absolutely. That, that hits so many, you know, from birth all, all the way on up. But, but when we think about the predeterminants of health, those things, those experiences that happen uh, within your life during those first few years uh, that you're here, they can have um, a lifelong impact on your health obesity, mental health, and that, that feeds into your financial well-being. So that preventative piece is absolutely critical. I would, I would have to agree with you. Mm -hmm. And we know another major chunk of this legislation uh, that's been provided for is about $555 billion yes. for climate change. Yes. Steve, what are some of these provisions and how do they address some of the environmental needs of North Carolinians who are more uh, vulnerable and in those distressed areas? Well, I think what's really uh, appealing about this part of the bill is the uh, significant tax credits that are provided uh, to provide, uh, you know, assistance for those that are moving and transitioning towards uh, increased energy efficiency, uh, you know, reducing the cost, for example, for solar rooftops by 
30 percent, uh, providing uh, reducing the cost of electric vehicles by over, almost 12500 for the average American family just because we're manufacturing these vehicles here, and also tax credits for those as well. Uh, and I think um, just all of the incentives and credits that are there to help those in rural areas of North Carolina to move towards energy um, efficiency, but most importantly, reducing energy costs, which we've talked about before on the show. Uh, energy prices are rising, utility bills are rising, uh, and people want, you know, they need to have the power on, they need to have the lights on, they need to have their utilities running, like water. And this bill does exactly that. And uh, Mr. Little also brought up the point of jobs. And so let's not forget that as we move towards a green economy, we are going to be creating millions of jobs in the U.S., and we want many of those jobs in North Carolina That's so that right. our, our governor and Chris Chong and the Commerce Department can recruit these, uh, these new innovations. So uh, I'm excited about that, and I think this is great for the citizens of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Dr. Little, help draw a picture for us. So, you know, if this is um, impacting people in rural areas, we know that there are those high-energy uh, bills that can come from not having... Um, well-insulated homes, for example, you know, that might be one example, might be the key one, but, you know, draw a picture for us about, you know, how's this really going to work? Yeah, so I think, as, as Steve was saying, the solar panel subsidies, I think, are quite important. Um, there are a number of black homeowners in rural places, and actually in my work at UNC, we worked with many of them who over the past 10 years have been very interested in getting solar panels up, but it's just been difficult, and so this bill goes a long way to making that possible. The other thing that's interesting is Black, Indigenous, and Latino people, whether in rural or urban places, are more likely to be exposed to air pollution across the United States and including in North Carolina. And the, and the promise of this bill to push forward the decarbonization of our transportation is another opportunity to prevent uh, health problems because of uh, Bad health, you know, bad air um, for for black and brown people. Why are black um, and brown people exposed to bad air? Um, well, in the places where most black and brown uh, people live, tend to be closer to highways, closer to manufacturing, and all these contribute to poor air air quality. Um, and so, one component of that air quality, a large component, is particulates that come out of gasoline and diesel combustion transportation. Mm -hmm. And by, again, this is not a short-term thing. It's going to take many years to really change the look of the fleet, the transportation fleet in the United States. But this will have a disproportionate impact on the health of, of black and brown people. Maybe one, a couple last things I want to throw in there. North Carolina is just landed a lithium battery uh, manufacturer. Mm -hmm. um, there is also a lithium mining company that is planning to do work in North Carolina called mm -hmm. Piedmont Lithium. And so I just want to a little caution um, that this is going to be different for people here. Um, we haven't had to think about the kinds of things that Texas, um, California, and other countries have in terms of exploitation of fossil fuels. Um, but renewable energy, it, it's not without environmental impact. Yes. And we're probably going to be grappling with some of those issues um, here. And then lastly, mm -hmm. um, I agree definitely that there's great opportunity for jobs. My concern there is similar to the tech industry. As we ramp this up, as we're throwing billions of dollars into what will be a growing industry, that Black-owned businesses and Black workers are not going to be the ones that are getting the middle and higher wage paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And so I, we're at the front that of this. I, I'm that just hopeful that we can be very cognizant of this and figure out how do we get Black-owned businesses 
plugged in so they can grow with what's going to be a huge huge opportunity for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I hope so as well. And that is mm -hmm. such an important point that you made, Mark, mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Little. Uh, Want to take us on to affordable mm -hmm. housing because it's directly tied to what you just talked about, these great high-paying jobs that are coming here and people who have the deep pockets to afford more expensive housing. So housing is more expensive. Why yes. not? Um, Senator Murdoch, mm -hmm. you know, how is affordable housing increasing under mm -hmm. this bill? Yes, um, definitely would do um, a lot of work to increase um, uh, affordable housing and do have to touch a little bit on the investments that it will make through HUD. Um, recently came um, from a national conference where had the opportunity to hear directly from Secretary Marsha Fudge and she is really excited about this provision in this bill and not to only equate um, affordable housing um, with, um, with HUD um, but do just have to highlight we just have so much work to do right here in Durham. Um, the our inability to maintain McDougal Terrace, one of our largest public housing units, made national news. Um, we were having a lot of issues and concerns there. And so um, when you talk about infrastructure, that does include housing and just so many of those properties across the nation, including here in North Carolina, are just so do um, upgrades. A lot of them will have to be completely rebuilt from scratch. Um, so really excited that it will include um, long term investments that we really need, you know, for for the lease of these, you know, for folks that really, really um, have no choice but to um, utilize um, these federally and, and state subsidized programs for housing. Um, so really, really excited that we will provide um, those, those investments that we really need in addition to, you know, other voucher programs and, and other ways that you can provide housing um, that, you know, that aren't kind of what you traditionally think of as affordable. Um, and even enticing more landlords to say, you know, if you have, you know, five, six homes um, that you own, you know, how can we do a better job of making sure that we get more folks in need in those properties as well um, since we are phasing out over time kind of the really huge um, you know properties we're getting more into more mixed where you know you may just have a few homes in a neighborhood and you don't know um, that they're affordable and that they're working with um, you know some sort of voucher program so as we continue to trend more in that direction um, Build Back Better will provide those in investments and to um, wholeheartedly agree with what Dr. Little said I think with all of these investments we just have to um, really be upfront about the need to make sure that um, the disbursement of these funds are equitable and the same goes for housing. It can't just go to, you know, certain groups and, and certain people. Uh, we have to make sure that we don't leave out um, black and brown people as we Absolutely. are distributing these we funds. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and I think companies. that everyone has to simply be paying very, very close attention. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Every December, children all over the world look forward to having this man come down their chimneys with a bag of toys and goodies. Santa Claus is the delight of the season, and he looks like this, usually. Today, we're seeing more Santas who look like this. And I want to ask, you know, what do you all make of it? I'm going to open up with you, Dr. Little, you know, the Black Santa. My best friend, who is Chinese-American, lives in D.C., three years ago, spent all this effort to find himself a black Santa so that he and his family could visit and get pictures with him. So even before this current wave, I think there are a number of people of all colors who are gonna be excited about having different Santas out there. Mm -hmm. I'll say I didn't grow up in a household with, with uh, Santa Claus, 
but I looked at Wikipedia and looked at St. Nick, please do so, because the actual St. Nick is a pretty, pretty cool dude. <laughs> yes, I mean, I can, I can only imagine watching the Raleigh Christmas Parade. Now, yes. now here's real change in diversity. You're watching the Raleigh Christmas Parade, and at the end, the finale is Santa Claus, and he's black. You know, when does this happen? They're already mm -hmm. doing it at Disney parks. Mm -hmm. They're presenting Black Santas. Um, Steve, mm -hmm. you know, you're Indian, uh, of, of Indian descent. Does it matter to you? What do you think about it? I mean, no, I, I'd love to be an Indian, an Indian Santa. Mm -hmm. I mean, what if Santa was like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, sort of like different people play Santa every year? What if Santa, you know, well, first of all, we're looking in more, forward in Morrisville to welcome Santa. You know, it's not easy to bring reindeer and, 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 and a sleigh into RDU airport space. But, you know, uh, on, a, on a serious note, uh, you know, I think it's it's no different than uh, what, what you know having a black Annie, which is wonderful for the Annie Live, yeah. or uh, with James Bond, we want to recast James Bond to be someone different, whether they're Asian uh, or black or whatever Latino, and why not with Santa? I mean, I think you right. know we, we there's always an assumption that Santa Claus is this white man. But I think now, in a global economy, we should be think out of the box. And I think it's great to change it up. And I, I commend Disney for this and mm -hmm. the stores. And I would, but, but, and, and I do want an Indian, an Indian Santa. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen that yet. So, you know, let, let, let's, let's just broaden it on out. Senator Murdoch, what are your Absolutely. thoughts? Is, is Black Santa going yes. mainstream? Do you think that we'll see, mm -hmm. you know, you think white parents would be just as ready to stand in line and have their children photographed with a Black Santa? I think they, I think they will. And you are definitely seeing it. I mean, from Broadway to Disney, you are seeing just more diversity, representation matters, particularly with children. I think the earlier that children are exposed to, you know, a myriad of, of different races and cultures, the better. Um, I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina, and we always had um, breakfast with a black Santa at Bennett College. And so um, I grew up with that, and it meant so much to me. I still cherish those, those photos. And I think particularly when it comes to these iconic figures that um, children look up to, um, they really, really need to see themselves in these in these people. And so um, that is why I'm all for um, Black Santa. Uh, I wouldn't go as far to say that it's mainstream, um, mm -hmm. but I am glad that we are seeing more of that because representation really matters as far as the way that you develop your sense of self. Um, I think it can have a huge impact um, for young children and young people to see that. Yeah, I think so, too. I just remember being young, and Santa Claus was Santa Claus. I, I actually didn't think about the color, but mm -hmm. um, representation does matter. So, Mark, what are your thoughts on representation matters and what, what kids really are, are looking at? Got about 30 yeah, seconds. Yes, so I think there's two things. Yeah, two things here. One, absolutely agree. Having more people looking different is important for everyone. So it's important for my kids to see someone who looks like them. But it may be also important for other kids who don't look like black Santa. Yes. It's like, oh, black people can, they're friendly. I can sit on their lap and not yes. worry. And they give me yes. gifts. All that is really important. Yes. The other it's thing, all though, good. I think Anybody who's important. giving gifts, uh, you, you know, with permission of the parents, yes. <laughs> is okay. Yes. So yeah. I appreciate you, know, you all's feedback on all of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Senator Natalie Murdoch, Steve Rao, Dr. Mark Little, thank you so much for being on Black Issues Forum. Happy holidays, thank everybody. Thank you so much, Deborah. Happy thank holidays. You. Happy New Year. I want to thank today's guests, and we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on bbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. Thanks for watching.
quality public television is made possible through the financial contributions of viewers like you, who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.